0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lori Clark Show. This episode of my podcast is brought to you with the help of Zoom Us, a video and audio conferencing interface. It's important to know that I'm in no way sponsored by Zoom. I just want to tell you how much I love it. It is very reliable, easy to use, and provides excellent audio and video files that my team and I produce to share the power of story with you. Another non-sponsored, couldn't do without, but just have to tell you how good it is, is Squarespace. When they say it is the all-in-one platform, it really is true. I go into the back end of my website multiple times a day, adjust things, post podcast, add links, and look at our show's analytics, which all sync across my devices. And when I need an image, Squarespace provides an excellent resource that's powered by Unsplash. Now for my most favorite feature the Squarespace app. Um, Being a working mom there never seems to be enough time in my day. So when my daughter's in ballet I sit in my car and upload post and manage everything on my website from the app. It's really cool and seamless. Squarespace is really really simple and very dedicated to helping me create a brand of excellence. So with that Big shout out to Zoom, Squarespace, and Unsplash. Thank you for helping me tell people's stories. With that said, let's move on to the best part about today, the show. Please allow me to welcome my next guest on The Lori Clark Show. I'm very pleased to welcome you again to the show. You're looking at me like, this is going to be hard to say this word.
1: But it's DRA, otherwise known as, what is it, Christy? Diastasis rectus abdominis. Diastasis rectus abdominis. Okay, I practiced in the mirror. I could not say it. And I just have this blockage about... The, stringing those three words <laughs> together. So I'm going to say DRA, like you've told me ten times already. Please say it. What you don't know, listeners, is that um, Christine and I actually rehearsed this, and she's trying to lead me through it, and I am not able to do it. So it's DRA for me, and she will say the the uh, technical term. You got it. Ah, welcome to the show. I'm so glad we can talk about this.
2: Thanks for having me, Lori. This is um, when we did our first chat about pretty much everything pelvic floor. We had, yeah, just kind of skinned over this and it definitely deserves its own podcast. Um, a lot of women do have a diastasis and they function really well with it. They have no idea they have one. So if you think about your six pack muscles, uh, so that would be the rectus abdominis. So if we use the technical term. Basically, if you can imagine the left and the right side of those six-pack muscles, um, the part that's just in the center of that muscle where it comes together in the midline is called the linea alba. And what happens, you know, typically we talk about diastasis in terms of pregnancy. So, you could imagine that uh, as the fetus is growing throughout pregnancy, those muscles will just widen and widen and stretch and stretch and stretch. And yeah. diastasis is basically the fact that those two six pack muscles will stretch apart or split open. And, you know, that's something that happens normally in pregnancy, there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually just our body's way of adapting to uh, the load and the stretch. So, you know, what what we find is that some women go back to normal, in quotation marks, like, you know, the the muscles will come back together to a certain extent at about a year postpartum. And that we know that some women, um, the muscles either don't come all the way back together or they have some functional issues. And so that's why we talk about DRA or diastasis um, is when basically women are having an issue with that tissue not fully coming back together. So it's not like it's a tear. That's a really good point. Yeah. So it's not a tear. It's actually just stretching. So if you can imagine if you're blowing up a balloon, how the balloon just expands and widens. And just imagine that that's happening, you know, gradually over time in pregnancy. And then at 40 weeks or 42 weeks when baby comes out, um, everything kind of goes back down. But then that balloon tissue can sometimes still be a little bit wrinkly. If we think about like the connective tissue and our fascia, how, you know, those structures are able to withstand a lot of stretch, but they don't necessarily just spring back because that tissue's been loaded and it's been stretched for quite a while.
1: And would you say that
2: there's a weakening or a thinning maybe? Yep, you could say that the tissue becomes thinner. We actually can see that on ultrasound when we look at this. We can see that um, the denseness of the tissue or the density of the tissue, uh, where it appears really bright on the ultrasound if the tissue is very dense, in diastasis, uh, if the tissue is very thin, it will actually look quite gray. It's kind of hard to see where that line is. Interesting. And so, is there?
1: I know we have like core muscles, right? Like you've said in your notes, you've got four core muscles. Can you just give me like a little anatomy lesson about like the four and where does
2: this? It this is in the front, right? Yes. So if we think our, our six-pack muscles are rectus abdominis, this would be where you would have the separation. But in terms of our core muscles, we're going to go a couple layers deeper now. So we're thinking about, you know, you can think about it as a canister. Okay. So um, in terms of the four core muscles, you have your pelvic floor on the bottom. Yep. Have your diaphragm on the top. And then the front wall would be your transverse abdominis, and then the back wall would be the multifidus. So then when we are thinking about diastasis, you know, we actually have to consider all those four core muscles in the way that they interact and how we treat someone. But when we think about the tissue being lengthened in the front where the linea alba is, we know that the transverse abdominus is really important for being able to generate tension across the midline point that gets stretched. So that's where we really want to dive down deep into this anatomy lesson so we can understand how the transversus helps you to generate force and load across your abdomen. So if we go into this, the front wall of the canister, we can imagine that our big six-pack muscles are really on the outside. Okay, go into our oblique muscles would be the next two layers down. And so and then beyond that layer, we've got this sheet like tissue, and I always describe it as saran wrap. That's kind of how I pictured it in my mind. So if you were to imagine this like gray sheet like tissue that goes on the top of or and covers over your abdomen and all of your internal organs that would be your transverse abdominis. And the way that that muscle actually contracts is you could imagine um, pulling a piece of saran wrap on both sides to generate, and yeah, to tighten it. So the transverse abdominis is really interesting um, in the way that it works. So before we cough or we sneeze or we move, we know that in in healthy subjects, the transverse abdominis should tighten and contract, both sides pulling, to you know basically make this nice stiff abdominal wall that we have. So then, when we need to lift or we need to load, everything inside is kind of like tucked in and it's all kind of tight. So. What happens with diastasis though, so if you can imagine that this little piece of tissue is really thin in the front, um, say when we do a sit-up or when we lift our head or when we cough, you could imagine that you would have a little bit of a bulge that would come out. um, And that's because the transverse abdominis and that tissue, the linea alba, is not working correctly. So instead of having that nice tight, tension happening, we've got this little buckle point where the pressure will go to. And so when when you look at this, um, we typically look at a sit-up because that's what most people are interested in. When you lift your head, you would see down the center of the abdomen where the rectus abdominis is right in the center, you would see this little bulge of tissue come out.
1: Right. And so it would be like a little seam almost, just push yeah. It. okay.
2: Yeah, so it'll we'll be right down the center. So um, longitudinally, if you, would, if you were to draw a line sort of from the top of your pubic bone all the way up to the bottom of your sternum, that's typically where we see this um, like coning or like a little pyramid that comes up. And And so really, if you think about it, that's like that little piece of saran wrap that just is a little bit too stretched out right down the center. The biggest thing that people will come in saying is that, you know, my stomach looks different. I'm not happy with like my abdominal profile. Um, Some women will notice the coning or the doming that happens when they sit up. Um, A lot of women don't, you know, we don't necessarily look at our stomach when we sit up out of bed. Um so so typically women will notice when I stand or you know, they'll say it it looks like I'm still five months pregnant. I would say that's the most common thing that people will say. Um, but I will say that another common complaint when we find that there's a larger diastasis is that women do have a lot of back pain because of just the way that the muscles are trying to organize the load. So if If the muscles in the front can't really do their job properly, the other muscles, and it's typically those those long big back muscles that are kind of taking over and doing doing their job. So I will say that when women say, Yeah, when I lift, you know, groceries or I lift my baby, you know, my back is chilling. And so that's common.
1: Hmm. Now I had a cesarean with my youngest, and the other three were all vaginal deliveries. Now when you have a cesarean, when they cut, they're not cutting directly into those muscles.
2: So typically, where they cut is sort of right above the bikini line. So it's, it's, really, it's really where these muscles are a little bit more tendinous, but they are actually cutting through the layers of the abdominals. Um, and so they, typically will stitch, um, you know, the back wall of the, the rectus abdominis. They will actually stitch that, but they don't always. So some surgeons just sort of rely on the body sort of healing itself. And then some of them will put a little dissolvable stitch in there. But then does,
1: so then that leads me to, I asked the question, I know might've seemed a little bit, you know, like I didn't know what I was talking about, but I, I'm asking that question to ask this next question. Then, can you get DRA from having a cesarean section?
2: You know, not on its own. I think okay. what? Yeah, I think the mechanism of how diastasis happens, and that's a really good question, Lori, because I think um, when we understand, you know, basically the reason why we get diastasis is because of this stretching that happens with the abdominal wall over time, this sort of loading. um, That's just, you know, the muscles have nowhere else to go. Like you just have to. Pulling, pulling, pulling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but we also see diastasis in men, which you may not know, and that actually can just happen you know, we've had some people that have had lots of abdominal surgeries. You know, they've had lots of different cuts through through the abdominal wall. So it's not necessarily the cut that did it. It was how their muscles functioned after the cut. Maybe they had some issues with motor control, the way that their muscles were working changed. And then when they went and did normal life, normal activities things weren't contracting properly. Their transversus wasn't contracting and generating that tension. So over time, they had this little bit of a load, little bit of a load, and that can actually stretch the linea alba and that can give you a diastasis. So, you know, say someone had, um, you know, three or four C-sections, they might have a totally fine functioning abdominal wall. You know, someone who had a one C-section, they might have trouble with their abdominal wall. And it's what we know is it's just very individual. And it just depends on that person's, their posture, their biomechanics, their connective tissue. And we don't actually know what predisposes some people to have diastasis and some to not. And I think it just speaks to the fact that there's so much variability in people You know, depending on how stiff their joints are or previous trauma that they've had, how they do a sit-up. Maybe they have pain in their neck when they sit up, so then they don't activate their muscles properly. So, you know, it's really individual. Um, But what we know is that when we assess someone, we we can figure all that out. Now, when I, let's just talk
1: about a woman who has pelvic floor pain. Yeah now is that a part of it too because it's all kind of connected to me like I'm looking at my canister totally (laughs) okay Campbell's soup's on the front and here we go right like I just I'm looking at my little canister going okay and so I'm thinking that You know, it's all going to be... Because with pelvic floor, when I talked to you about that, we did the show, it was an amazing show, by the way. You've explained the pelvic floor to me and the muscles around that bowl of muscle. So I can't help but imagine you got your bowl and now you're putting a canister
2: on top of that that connects, it all wraps it together. You're absolutely right. So you can imagine this canister... And the fact that those four core muscles are all connected, they work as a group. They work dynamically. So if one of those muscles isn't working properly, you know, we could imagine that the others would react, take up the slack, um, things would function differently. And there would be a strain on one of them. Yeah, potentially. So, you know, typically women with diastasis they have some type of, you know, low back pain. Um, there's some sort of a dysfunction with their pelvic floor. Maybe if it's not showing up now, maybe it would show up later. We can imagine that over time, um, diastasis would have an impact on the pelvic floor. There's been no long-range studies done on that, but I can tell you that women who come in typically with a larger diastasis do have some sort of a pelvic floor. A dysfunction, whether that's they've, you know, they've got a prolapse, they've got a tight and overactive pelvic floor, um, the pelvic floor is not working properly, maybe um, all the pressure from the diaphragm in the back, the abdominal wall is pressing down to the pelvic floor. So there can be different things that go on, but we, we just need all aspects of that canister to function properly for people to be feeling really good
1: right and so like I, that was, what I was that's why i was asking because again in that pelvic floor episode we talked about all of the things that can happen like the prolapsing with your rectum with the bladder with the with the um uterus and so if any of that is not where it's supposed to be in the puzzle mm-hmm. of the structure of our body then it would just it's common sense for me to go okay well then naturally we're going to have if you have DRA, then you know that you might have something happen somewhere else. That's yeah,
2: you're definitely, yeah, you're more at risk for sure. And it's, it sort of just speaks to the way our bodies can adapt and do adapt where a lot of women say would come in with a small diastasis um, and be more concerned about their abdominal wall, but not really know that oh wow, like this could actually impact the way my pelvic floor is functioning too. Right. So by helping them deal with the diastasis, maybe we're helping reduce their risk of pelvic floor dysfunction later on. Um, but you can imagine just for women postpartum how important it is just to look at the whole puzzle because you know say you. You know, trial the vaginal delivery. Um, you were trying to push for three hours. At the end of the line, they said, "Nope, we're going to have a C-section." So then, maybe you've got some stretching of the muscles on the abdominal wall. You've stretched the pelvic floor. You've got a surgery. You know, you're in pain. You're not necessarily working those muscles. Muscles aren't contracting the way we'd like them to. So we really, when we look at diastasis, we automatically look at the pelvic floor and just make sure that you know, things are contracting, things are lifting. And one piece that I didn't mention in the anatomy part was that typically um, when I assess this on someone, I'm looking at, you know, if they lift their head, am I seeing any doming in the midline? And if I ask them to contract their pelvic floor, is the midline doming changing? Is it getting better? Because we know that the pelvic floor, when we do a pelvic floor contraction in, in healthy subjects, what should happen if things are working properly, we should get the transverse abdominis, that saran wrap tightening muscle, they should work together. So actually... Yeah, I'm
1: doing it right now. I'm just going to self-assess.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is actually a really good opportunity. So if you were to find your hip bones, Lori, yeah. and if you were to go um, just on... So your hip bones here. Okay. Yep. So just on the inside of your hip bones. Okay. Let your belly relax. Okay.
1: Let it all hang out. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. Get there. into the right. There we go. And
2: okay. so let the belly go. Just let it hang. Okay. And try just gently contracting around your anus. Oh, wait. <laughs> Hold on! Wrong,
1: wrong, wrong exit hole. <laughs> I'm doing this. I'm still contract, contracting my vagina, so I got to go to the back end. Just
2: one sec. You know, typically, Lori, that's where I would start. Okay. People, yeah, it gets it gets you out of thinking that you have to do something here. Yeah, it's good. Okay. So if you just just gently tighten around your anus you should feel a, just a little bit of flattening underneath your fingers and so if you were to imagine this like saran wrap thing yeah. happening yeah i feel that just kind of like pulling an elastic band low and tight across right from, here yeah, yeah so that's that's how they work together and so so yeah. then if you
1: have a if you have a rectile. Yes? If you have a, some sort of a rectal prolapse, then that one movement that you just asked me to do may be compromised.
2: For sure, for sure. So if you have a rectocele, and we know that, and we know that you also have a DRA, when we, when we assess you and when we see, okay, you lift your head, you're getting doming. Um, we try a pelvic floor contraction and you, we know there's a little bit of a deficit on that back vaginal wall. Yeah. Um, it, would be, it would be interesting to see, does a pelvic floor contraction help you? you know, can you still get transversus going or do we maybe need to do a different cue? So Sometimes we cue, you know, bring your right hip bone towards your left hip bone. We've got tons of different cues because everyone works a little bit differently on that but depending, yeah. So a cue is what? A cue is something that I would say to get you to elicit a muscle contraction in your body to get, and this, in this case, it's going to be transversus is what we want that transverse abdominus. We want it to contract and, and just gently tense that, um, midline area that's become weakened. Um, so sometimes it's a pelvic floor contraction, Sometimes it's, um, you know, you're, you're contracting some of the muscles around the lower part of your diaphragm. It's sort of like an upper transversus cue, transversus cue. And so when I assess someone, I would try a bunch of different things. And as soon as I get this nice, uh aha, where all the muscles in the canister are happy and we have control, that would be the cue.
1: Now, um. The, the question I have is, um, I just forgot it. That's how that happened. Right there. That's okay. <laughs> Moving on. It'll come back and then I'll totally interrupt you and say, well, part of why I'm distracted is because can you hear that my neighbor is using a leaf blower to blow off the road? I
2: can't hear it actually.
1: Okay, good. Because listeners... There is probably no leaf blower in your house right now in your headphones. And I want to apologize for that, but we're not going to be able to edit that out, I don't think. So unfortunately, it's all of us together and buddy guy with the leaf blower that's on his back right now. He's got this big backpack that, and it's huge, it's industrial. And so that's what's happening right now. And that's why I probably forgot that question.
2: It's a little bit of white noise in the background.
1: It's white noise. Um, I when I was doing research, I saw babies
2: that may have yeah. this. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. It's actually interesting. Kids can have it. Yes. So, yeah. I think my my daughter had it when she was first born. And pooker. I know. And it's kind of funny to think about, but it's it's actually kind of cool in terms of the recovery for diastasis. You know, essentially when when kids and babies are first born, you know, they don't necessarily have super tight connective tissue yet. And we know that our, our bodies and our connective tissue responds to load. So the more that you load your tissue, the stronger it gets. So if you're loading your diastasis in the right, and the proper way with the right contraction under a, a manageable load, that's good for your canister, then, then the diastasis gets stronger. So, so with kids, it's the same thing. Like, you know, sometimes we think, well, oh, maybe they have some sort of a connected, um, connective tissue disorder. And maybe that's why they're having, um, you know, diastasis that, Happens later, but but maybe it's just the way that they've loaded their body and and little babies, right? Like when they come out, that midline um, part of the abdominal wall is not that strong yet. No, well, but the more you know, rolling and sitting and movements they do, contracting the muscles, it gets stronger, and typically it goes away.
1: How do you encourage women who are you know they're new to this, um, who just had a baby, and they're they're, they're looking at their abdomen going, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. are you joking me right now? This, you're, you're looking at yourself as a woman, at least I did with my four kids. And I went, I got to get back to normal. I craved normalcy. Um, help people who are craving normalcy, I help them deal with DRA if they're they noticing that they have it.
2: Yeah, I think... I think the biggest thing, Lori, is it's going to be unique for every individual. And I think ultimately meeting them where they're at, um, I would say that's the biggest thing. You know. Yeah, because it's going to be so different depending on how much stretch they had of their abdominal wall. What did it look like before? You know, What are their beliefs around the way their belly looks and what does that mean about them as a person? You know, for some women, it's really important that they look normal as quickly as possible. And so if that is the goal, then, you know, we just have a discussion around, yeah, think about how long that muscle took to stretch. Right. Where your belly was stretched and it was like this. So you wouldn't expect, you know, that the muscles would just spring back together. Like that whole process takes time. And, and when we talk about this really dense connective tissue, it, you know, it takes quite a while. You know, just with different hormones in your body, um, we can tend to still have a little bit of laxity in our tissue. So just putting that in their minds, think like, okay, like I just grew this human being. Yeah. And my hormones are way out of whack. Um, you know, my body is, is trying to heal and trying to feed and nurture a small human. Um, and so really just putting that in their mind and say like, Hey, let's be realistic. Let's, you know, meet you where you're at in terms of what goals do you want to have and where do you want to go? But also knowing that, you know, it may take up to a year for you to feel like your belly looks normal.
1: Now let's talk about the gap because now that you mentioned what you just said there, I think is awesome. And you're saying, it's gonna, it could take up to a year to really see a change. Now let's move to how big the gap is. Like the gap is going to, like you said, for every person, it's always different. So you might have a little gap. Now, like in my research, you know, there's like a, there can be a two to three centimeter gap, but you don't even have a problem with it. Yeah, exactly. For someone else, they might have a two, three centimeter gap and have a problem.
2: Yeah. And so that's where we go back to this idea of this canister. What's the person's posture? What's their alignment? And how are they managing load in their body? So absolutely right. Some person, a person could have like a two centimeter gap, which we would consider normal. We would, we would say that's totally fine. Okay. That's actually important that you said that, that that's normal. So a two to three centimeter gap is, is normal. I would say probably about a two centimeter, I would consider normal. And okay. I would also look at the way, you know, if a patient came in and I would look at them, you know, show me what your abdominal exercises that you're doing. And I would make sure that they're connecting properly and they have proper tension. And if I saw that and I, and I knew that they weren't experiencing any, you know, back pain or pelvic girdle pain, like there was nothing there that would make me concerned, then I would say that would be functional. But, you know, some people with a two centimeter gap would say, hey, you know, I'm doing a setup and I can see that I'm coning. And then we might find that maybe they're not activating their pelvic floor and their transverses properly. And then when we do get that going, oh, look, you know, they have tension or maybe they have some overactivity in the muscles of their obliques um, and that's kind of throwing off their contraction. And when we release that, oh, look, you know, they get that transversus coming on again and they get that tension.
1: Okay. So again, you're talking about it as, this is what I love, right? Because it's the whole body that you are talking about. And, and, you know, we didn't mention that at the beginning, but again, it just, it's your philosophy. It's how it's the, it's what you see and how you've interpreted the body um, through your schooling and through the clinic that you're at but this is a whole body thing. So you're talking about pelvic floor, you're talking about all sorts of things that work together to create something. And so that is really cool to me. Um, Now, in terms of when do you decide by looking at a gap that it is not acceptable or not functioning as normal? Like I had somebody say to me, Look, I've got DRA. Put your hand in there. And I was like, but I did it. I did it anyway. And I was like, that's so and I didn't want to say like that's so gross, but it, it I I felt like I was feeling her dinner she just ate in her stomach. Like I was like, oh my gosh, it was
2: it was like a good size. Yeah. And that's a really good experience that you had there, Lori, because you really feel, you know, when you touch your tummy, oh. you feel fairly firm-ish, right? Like you, like there's some sort of a, something stopping you, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You feel
2: that, the saran wrap. The saran wrap. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And then with your friend, this person that you were feeling... Um, you're just feeling that that saran wrap. it's just doesn't have any continuity, and then you just kind of keep going through it. Yeah, and that's what you know. You can really picture that. You know that tissue is thinner. It's been stretched, so then it doesn't really generate or can't carry load the same way. Um, yeah, that's kind of the the whole premise of diastasis.
1: Now I want to talk about some myths because I want you to bust this myth for me. Awesome. It's not about weight gain in pregnancy.
2: That's right. Absolutely not correlated.
1: Love that. Um, It's not, you can solve this or work this through,
2: but you don't always need surgery or tummy tucks. That's right. That's right. You don't always need it. And when women, when we're typically sending women for surgery, it's when, say, for example, we, we do that, you know, the curl up test, we see there's doming, we try the pelvic floor contraction, we try, you know, all the tools in our toolbox to get them to generate this little bit of tension along that separated tissue. And it's just not working. Um, And in those cases where the gap is wider, and they just can't quite, you know, even when transversus is working, but it just the gap is too wide that transversus can't you know, tug on both ends of the saran wrap. You've just, you've got nothing there in terms of force um, transmission. Um, Those are the women where we try to basically approximate the rectum. We try to kind of, we pick up the tissue and we pull it together. And if then they're able to do the curl up and then we were actually able to see that there's no doming, then those people we think, okay, you know, these people could benefit from surgery. Did you say pick up the tissue? Yeah. So like in your abdomen, like we can, we can sort of take both sides of the recti and we can kind of pull them together and just approximate. I mean, it's not perfect, but it just gives you an idea of like, okay, so what would happen if this tissue, if we could take up the slack um, and now do you have better control with this movement? Is that what a splint would do? You know what, the splint, not exactly. I think, you know, if we can somehow design a splint to really be specific enough enough to like pick up tissue and really physically move it, um, like a belly band or a belt, like it doesn't really give you that deep down core control that you need, but it does give you something in terms of just supporting the tissue overall. And I think, you know, sometimes that can be beneficial for people. So,
1: what the next myth is? uh, All exercises will get rid of this.
2: All exercises will get rid of this. You know, not all exercises will not get rid of this. I think what I would like to empower women to do is to yes, still exercise. I think a lot of women are afraid to exercise when they have a diastasis. They think like, oh my gosh. I can't do anything, and really, that's not true. So I would say that we, what we can do quite easily, is figure out, you know, what's what's the point where this tissue is buckling, um, and that's the point that we don't want to go beyond. But there's tons of stuff that you could do to help this. That would be either lower load or modified. That you actually need to be doing in terms of being able to. The tissue so it can get stronger. So, So
1: I want to know this question because the answer to this, then. So, I totally interrupted you, but here's the thing I read that sit ups, crunches, straight leg raises, Pilates movements, some Pilates movements, a forward crossover
2: movement makes DRA worse. And I would say it depends on the person. Because just like you said, with that person, for example, with the two centimeter gap, we might look at one person and they can lift their head. Their belly is flat. We see no doming or bulging. Awesome. Totally functional exercise for that person. We might see the next person do that and see the coning happening. Oh, okay. Well, I wouldn't necessarily want them doing that at home. I would want to make sure that I can get them contracting the muscles properly And then make sure they can do, say, a crunch or a leg lift with the muscles contracted. And that's actually going to be really helpful for that person. So as long as we can get them doing the right things and feeling and self-assessing and feeling, which you can completely do at home, then then I'd be fine with leg lifts. It just has to be um, programmed specifically for that person to the point where they can manage the load effectively. Now try your anus contraction. See if you can get that contraction. Every time you say that, I like panic. I'm like,
1: okay, well, I, hold on. I got to stop talking. The whole world has to hit the pause button for
2: me to do an anus <laughs> contraction. Yeah. And that's, that's so true, Lori, because a lot of people a lot of focus. start them with the head lift. I'll just get them finding the anus contraction with no movement. That's okay. That's one. Okay. Let's do this. So if you're home, Lie down down on your back. Okay. If you're at home, lying on your back, knees bent, try to lift your head off the floor and then lift it back down. And then you could notice, oh, do I see any coning? Do I see any bulging? Okay. Then if you do, you could try just a gentle anus contraction, like 10% of maximum. Try to maintain that contraction and then just lift your head up again and come down, let it go, and just notice, did that change your doming or your bulging? Now,
1: walk us all through contracting the anus. Yeah. So so that feels or looks like, so is it like a Kegel or Keg, whatever you say, is it that or is it pushing out? Like,
2: show me, tell me again. Uh Uh-huh. So, if you were to visualize the area just around the outside of your anus, and if you were to imagine just sort of drawing or pulling in like you're just holding in a bit of gas, so you should actually <laughs> feel the anus like come up and inside the body, you shouldn't feel pushing down or bulging down around. Okay, so it's not going down, it's going up, back in, going up and in, up okay. and in. yeah, I got it. Yeah. So that's the contraction. And, you know, this is one cue, like we talked about. And this, I just say this one, because it tends to work for a lot of people yeah. that when to contract their pelvic floor transversus kicks on, and we get this nice saran wrap, and then they can load really well that way.
1: Thank you for showing us that. Because I think, you know, at this stage of this conversation, we needed some sort of like, I love to hear what you're saying and I can see you and then the visceral has to come in where you're actually, you just walked us through that. So someone's sitting in their car, they can do what you said about envisioning the muscles around the anus and, and then pulling it up and in. And so that becomes a visceral Now you've got your, your, all your senses are functioning around how to, how to see this, how to feel this, how to envision it, and then what might be happening and how you can, that's
2: a self-assessment, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The self, the curl up test and, you know, if the anus contraction doesn't work for you then you might just need another cue or we might need to take a twist out of your thorax and then and then things work better so don't panic if that's not it this is a common pattern that i would see lori um you know commonly say for example they're slightly rotated to the right in their thorax so the lower part of the thorax is rotated to the right so we typically, would see some sort of uh, muscle imbalance in the obliques. So the oblique muscles are part of the abdominal wall. They they do a lot of flexing and rotating. Um, so they can get you kind of when one's overactive, it can you can kind of be stuck in a rotation to one side. So like we talked about doing the pelvic floor cue, and then we curl up and we see, ooh, it looks better. Yeah. Sometimes we have to take the twist out of the thorax, get the oblique muscles working in better synergy, and then the transversus will sometimes come on on its own. And sometimes we still need to use a cue. So that's just another self check, I guess.
1: But then you're balancing the load. Yeah. Could you just, as you're sitting there and someone's feeling that, if they just become aware of it and begin to straighten and settle in? And just keep keeping it equal, will
2: that help? Yeah, so in this situation, if immediately when we take the twist out of the thorax, if transversus automatically comes on, then yeah, so then we would just basically give them stretches and release exercises to release whatever muscle that is you know, maybe it's the oblique, maybe it's one of the back muscles, so we just would get as part of the homework, they would start by doing their release work. And then they would go into doing their crunches or leg lifts or whatever it was that was prescribed. Um, And sometimes we do, yes, have to take the twist out. And then sometimes we still need to add the pelvic floor cue. But yeah, a lot of times it can be just this muscle imbalance that, you know, the muscles aren't necessarily picking on in the deep core, because we have this big strong overactive oblique muscle that's just kind of taking over and oh that's better that's so amazing
1: yeah. and again it's like when one parts out it seems like a lot of other parts are out
2: yeah i mean we our body is just you know you can't separate the parts i mean it's all connected so if one area of the body is twisted and rotated you know, it can impact the way that we move and the way our muscles function. And a lot of times people can tolerate a lot of, um, you know, alignment changes or things that are out of whack, um, just sort of depends on the person. And, um,
1: so you, is there any other self-assessment that we could do that you haven't mentioned?
2: You know, I think, I think the, the main one is the curl up test, lying in your back, lifting your head, you know, do you see any doming or bulging in the, in the midline of the abdominals? Um, you know, really, Laurie, you could, you could self-assess any, any abdominal movement. So you mentioned leg lifts. So a lot of, a lot of people do leg lifts as part of their ab work or core routine, but you could just try bending your, lying on your back, knees are bent lift both feet off the floor at the same time. And if you notice that your, your belly bulges or your neck tightens or your back arches, you don't necessarily have a diastasis, but you know your body is not managing that load effectively. Ah, uh, We really shouldn't see any of that happen. Um, if, if your core muscles, you know, the canister muscles are working properly to, to control that load.
1: But then if somebody has more abdominal fat, mm-hmm then are you still going to see the bulge? Yes. Yes. And then if someone has not done a sit-up in a long time, so then if the neck or the back or what you just said, every some other parts compensate, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you have that. It just means that the four core muscles are not as strong yet.
2: Yeah. And it, and it could mean that... Um You have some muscle imbalances in your neck or maybe, um, like you say, you haven't done a setup in ages and we just need to work on, you know, lengthening the neck, cueing from the right spot, um, just having good body mechanics.
1: I love it because, again, it's always helpful to get that perspective, you know, because a lot of people just look at stuff and they go, oh, no. And, you know, and, and they don't know how to how to fix it. And when I always look at things like when I had my pelvic floor stuff, I always think to myself, oh, it's going to take forever. And, and so then you might look at something like this and yeah, it might take a year to bring you in, but really, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. I, I think that, you know, we're, we're supposed to be kind to ourselves, give ourselves, especially as women, when we've had babies.
2: I know, but it's so, and you have this experience too, Lori, how when the baby comes out and you're just like, okay, ready to be back to normal. I need normalcy. Yeah, it's almost like having the belly bump and having this nice round thing is acceptable and it's acceptable to be normal, but it's not, the in-between is not acceptable. So, because nobody wants to hear that person
1: say, when you're at the grocery store and you've left your baby home, where they say, "When are you due?" and you're like, "I just had a baby."
2: <laughs> That's so rough. That's so rough to hear that. And you know, Lori, just as a side, I wanted to mention that um, you know, there's no start point for having to to deal with diastasis. You know, if you you know, really six to eight weeks postpartum would be really the earliest. But I would say I see women, you know, four or five years postpartum and it's like, oh, I've had my kids and I'd like to deal with this now. Maybe they didn't have the time before, but that doesn't mean that you're too late is what I'm saying. I mean, you could really start this at any point and it can still be beneficial. Maybe you're still planning on, on having future kids. I mean, definitely you could still work on it.
1: Um, thank you for that. I, I, I agree with you because, again, before I move to my next transition here, I, I want to echo, though, that, you know, it takes time. Yeah. And that's, that's the message here. And I did not get my pelvic floor assessed by you until I was 10 and a half years postpartum.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it just doesn't happen you know, say three, four months postpartum, and they're really concerned that they have a diastasis, you know, I'm not concerned at all. I think that that's normal. And I think, okay, yeah, totally. You know, we, let's check back in and let's give you these exercises. Let's see you in six weeks, because I'm not expecting there to be rapid changes week to week. And if, you know, when you stop breastfeeding, if it's about a year postpartum, You know, that's when we're kind of thinking like, hey, things can be looking good at that point. And and sometimes they're not. But, you know, it's definitely got longer time frames.
1: Let's talk about the online programs that are out there because, you know, we can go online. And when I was researching, I I was going and people were saying, you know, we're going to heal this. We're going to do this. This online program will work for you. Um, And I don't think that that's a, a bad idea. Uh, I do, and I believe you would probably say, uh, always check with someone first.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, kind of going back to that initial example of the person with the two centimeter gap, um, I think there's a handful of people out there that have good movement strategies, and so when they do an online program, they're fine because you know they can contract their transverses and the cues that the person used they work and so awesome um, and that's fine. I think just because it's so individual is yeah. hard to know that that program is going to work the same for another person. Um, and we know that loading the tissue is good. So I think you know if that's the only way for people to get seen, then you know then then maybe that's it. Maybe do an online program, but. What I think would be best is to do a self-assessment at home, perhaps. Um, a lot of fitness trainers now are, are trained in how to at least screen for a diastasis. So I get a lot of people in the door, you know, my yoga instructor told me to come see you and, and then we can just have an additional eyes on it and just see what, what is going to work best for that person and then send them off and do the online program and just know that you know, you can do the single leg lifts, but the double leg lifts are going to cause you problems. Ah, uh,
1: and see, and that's the thing, right? Like it never hurts to get a second or a third opinion and, and it never hurts to, um, to just check in because again, like you said, through this whole thing, there's a whole body thing going on and you you can't just do a self-assessment and go yeah okay my thorax is out I think it is and then I got this and you know like you know you, you can't just do that because um, that's something you gotta kind of have the wisdom around that that understands how like you use these words the load and where things are and so I think it's a good recommendation and I appreciate that so what would you say as we wrap up what would you say to someone who is uh, experiencing this or thinking that they might have something?
2: I would say do a self-assessment. Um, try lying on your back. Try lifting your head. See what's going on. And, you know, if you are concerned, if you're thinking, okay, I'm postpartum. I want to get back to exercising. I want to work out. I would consult um, a physio who is trained in how to do to assess this. I think, you know, there's a lot we can do and even with one session to just kind of cover all your bases and give you the green light to go ahead and start working on some stuff. I think that that would be the best way to approach it if that was possible. Um, And also just that giving yourself a little bit of grace and a little bit of time and we know that a lot of women spontaneously get better from a diastasis after one year. We know that some people don't but you know, chances are, just giving it a little bit of time, just moving your body in ways that feel good is going to be good for you. Um, and at the end of the day, you still have—you're not happy with how your abdomen looks. You still have some issues. Um, then go see a physio, and we can help you with it.
1: So, diasis rectus abdominis. <laughs> I did it with DRA. You have just encouraged us to to self-assess, to if if you think something's going on, get it checked out. One appointment is is, you don't need 10. You can just do it in one. And just follow your intuition, right? Mm -hmm. Follow your intuition and it's never too late. I love that we talked about how to fix it what to do. You gave us some visual exercises. We talked about non-invasive, why you would need surgery. We talked about the definition and looking um, at the body as a canister and seeing and the anatomy of what that looks like. That is all very helpful to this conversation. And so if you are finding yourself in this place, this um, Christy asks you to, to do a self-assessment and then get it checked out by someone, a physiotherapist that can actually help you do so. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for getting me how are you? This is just great. I, you know that you're coming back and now let's find something else to talk about. <laughs>
2: That's right. We've got lots. There's lots to talk about. Oh, That's-
1: there is. There is. So thank you. Uh, we appreciate it. And just another, another great conversation with you. I, I love it. Thank you so much. Oh, and can you please give us your Instagram so that um, our listeners can travel over to you and see what you're up to?
2: Yes. Um, my Instagram is at Kirsty Physiotherapist. And my name is a bit of an interesting spelling. So we can I can always spell that for you. We can write it down, but it's K-J-E-R-S-T-I.
1: Yes, it is. It's very it's a, it, my friend calls you Kajursty.
2: <laughs> yes, i have had that off and on. Yeah. Throughout life. Many nicknames. That's <laughs> right. Okay, so it's Kirsty Physiotherapist
1: yes and that's the handle for your instagram and of course if you are
0: looking to us to um look at our instagram it's the laurie clark show and you can also go to our website www.laurieclark.ca and that's where all our stuff is in the podcast and all that good stuff well thank you this has been great and again let's let's connect soon and i cannot wait to have another
2: conversation with you oh me too laurie thanks again thanks for having me you're welcome